Hey, good to see you, and don't you love homemade bread? Isn't that just good? It's like a meal in itself. You know, it doesn't disappear like that white processed stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, our family, we love the rolls at Texas Roadhouse, don't you? You know, you always have to ask for more right before you leave, so then you can box those up and take with you. Actually, they're real nice there. They'll just do that for you. Say, hey, can I take some of those home? We love those. And then traveling in Romania, uh, the bread of Romania, and, and there's homemade bread, then there's homemade bread. And just had a sturdy bread there, tasty bread in France. It's really interesting when you think about it, and if you travel at all uh, internationally, that every country, every place kind of has their own unique style of bread that they have. In fact, even Worlds of Fun, just to prove this to you. I remember growing up as a kid, how many of you remember the Wonder Bread Truck? Right there at the entrance. Do you remember that? And they sold these little mini uh, loaves of Wonder Bread, which I'm always, fa- I, growing up, I've always been, whatever is miniature is cool, okay? And it was in a little wrapper, and I always had to get that. That was just the coolest thing. But nothing beats homemade polo bread. Is that true? Is that true, Kirk? Yeah, that is good. That is true. That is true. I, I told Dana, I said, to pull this off, I don't know if it's going to make it out of your house, but uh, uh, she said that uh, Ch- uh, Kirk had reverted to his childhood and said, is that for us? Can I have some of that? Can... And then you had, he had to fight you off there a little bit. So we're glad you're doing it. Now, is anybody still hungry? Are you still hungry? You really, it just fills you, doesn't it? It just fills you up. But the reality is, we're all hungry. Because there's all sorts of hunger. There's all sorts of hunger in our lives. There's hunger for status. Do I matter? Am I important? Do others value me? There's hunger for significance. Does what I'm, what I do make a difference? Will anybody care after I'm gone? Have I made my mark on this world and will anyone even notice? Hunger for security. Do I belong? Am I wanted? Am I forgiven? Hunger for more power? Hunger to be a better performer? Hunger for greater pleasure, peace? I don't know what it is, but I want you to think in terms of not just now that your belly is full, but think in terms of what is it that I'm really, really hungering for? I go to bed hungering for it. I wake up in the morning hungering for it. Today, We're going to study the first of the I am statements of Jesus. I want you to turn your Bibles, John 6, 22 through 71. John 6, 22 through 71 is where we're going to be looking. And I just want you to think in terms of this question. I mean, as I was thinking about hungry, you know, what do you what do you ask? If you're like our family, you say, hey, are you guys hungry? You ever ask your family that? Are you hungry? You know, and then typically, most families, they always say what? Yes. And then what's the next question? What are you hungry for? And then once you have that big argument and debate, okay, then the next question is, where are we going to go to get it? Okay. And then the debate comes, well, no, I don't like that place. I, 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 I don't go away filled. I go away still hungry or or I had a bad food poisoning experience there. I don't go there. So you've gone through this process. So think about it. What are the steps we take to seek to satisfy even our physical hunger? It kind of comes down to these four questions. The kind of satisfaction. What am I hungry for? You've got to settle the question of what you are really hungry for. The second is the source of your satisfaction. Where can I get it? Who's going to prepare it? Who's going to provide for it? We always want to seek the best source to satisfy our hunger. Third, we think about the means of our satisfaction. Will I actually eat it? Listen, your hunger, you could have this bread. As we went around, no one knew, okay, do I open it? It's, you know, that's aluminum foil that seemed like it was glued together with super glue. I don't know. You know, that bread could sit there the whole time. And if you don't eat it, it's not going to satisfy your hunger. It could be right there in front of you. And you've got to eat it. And then the fourth thing is, now that I've eaten it, did it really fill me? Did it really satisfy my hunger? Well, these four steps 
are covered in John 6, 22 through 71. And basically what we want to look at this morning is the four steps to satisfying your spiritual hunger. So if you'll just think in real basic terms, the same set of questions that you go through to go to figure out where you're going to eat to satisfy your physical hunger are the same questions you need to be asking about those deeper hungers that we all have. So let's look at step one. If you're going to be satisfied in your spiritual hunger, then you've got to let God settle the question of the kind of satisfaction you really need. You've got to let God settle the question of the kind of satisfaction you really need. Well, we're going to jump right in. So let's look at verse 22 through 25. John chapter 6, 22 through 25. It says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, here's what you want to see out of this. The crowds were hungry and willing to go to great lengths to satisfy their physical their physical hunger. They're willing to go to great lengths. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but let me give you a little map. This is the Sea of Galilee. And here's Capernaum, which was kind of Jesus's main hangout. And over here is the eastern side of the seashore. And what happened was Jesus was up here ministering in Galilee, performing many miracles. They saw all these works. Great crowds were gathering. And so Jesus took his disciples and hung out here over in the wilderness on the non-Jewish side. Okay, this was the Jewish side. This was the Gentile side. So they go over here to the wilderness. Well, these big crowds follow them to the other side, the non-Jewish side. And so they're all there. And that's where the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 takes place. Out here in the wilderness, they had no place to go get food. The crowds were great. And Jesus feeds them. And what happens is Jesus sends, he, he goes up here to the mountain. He sends his disciples across in a boat at night. The, the, the crowds wake up in the morning. There's no Jesus. There's no disciples. There was only one boat. So they get in boats and travel back and go across sea and walk. And they find him back here in Capernaum. And this is where they say, they're like, how long you been here? And basically, how did you get here? You know, what's going on? We're, uh, it's morning, and we're looking for more bread. Okay, so that's kind of the picture of what's going on. They had already followed him into the wilderness to the eastern shore because of the miraculous healings they had seen. Now, when he's feeding 5,000 men. That's 5,000 men. Most scholars estimate there could have been even more than 20,000. 20,000, including men, women, kids, wives or women without uh, husbands, 20,000. That's basically the Sprint Center here during March Madness. Now, can you imagine the Sprint Center packed out and you got to feed them? How are you going to feed them? And Jesus was able to feed them from just five, in, in English it says loaves, but it's really like five pancake-sized pieces of pita bread, just five little pancake-sized slices of bread and two small fish were which were really like pickled sardines you know just kind of like an appetizer little thing so if you could imagine you walk into the sprint center with a a raving uh, fans you know and they're hungry and you're going to feed them with that wow now the miracle that took place it took place in the very hands of Jesus as he gave thanks now listen to this here's the jewish the typical jewish thanksgiving before they ate, here's what Jesus might have said. We don't know for sure, but he very likely he could have said this. Listen, blessed are you, O Lord God, 
king of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. That was the traditional blessing. Now, can you imagine Jesus looking up to heaven saying those words? Who brings forth bread. You're, God, you're the king of the universe. You're the ones. And then he starts breaking it. And the miracle occurred in his hand. And he just kept breaking it. And I, I, you can't explain it. You can't scientifically analyze it. He's the king of the universe. He can bring forth bread. I don't know how he does it, but he acknowledged it's a God thing. And basically what he's saying is what? I am. I am. That's just amazing. The miracle is found in verses 1 through 11. And I just want you to look at, look at verses uh, uh, 11 through 13 real quickly. Look at verses 11 through 13 and notice what they say. Uh, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. I would underline that, as much as they wanted. The supply was abundant. And when they had eaten their fill, the supply was satisfying. You had as much as you needed and wanted. Not only that, when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. So it's, it's not only, it's, it's abundant supply, it's more than satisfying, and there's more than enough. 12 baskets. And what that probably symbolizes is one, hey disciples, there's 12 of you, you've been busy serving others, guess what? I will take care of you as you meet the needs of others. And, hey, nation of Israel, there's 12 tribes of you. I can take care of you on a personal level. I can take care of you on a national level. That is just amazing. amazing. So, they were so hungry for more, and they were so impressed with Jesus' miraculous power to feed them, they wanted to start a revolution and make him their king by force. I mean, you know, if you want to uh, win an election, feed everybody. Okay, you know, if you want to grow a church, feed everybody. Notice what happens in verses 14 through 17 in chapter 6. Look at verses 14 through 17. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet, they're not saying God, they're not saying the I am God, who is coming to the world and perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, what follows is the story of Jesus walking on water. Jesus, it's evening. Jesus goes up into the mountain. He sends the disciples across. The storm rages. He sees them. He comes to them walking by water. I can't go through that whole miracle. All I want you to see, though, is something really significant that happens in verse 21. In verse 20. Look at chapter 6, verse 20. They see him coming. Mark says they thought it was a ghost. And here's what Jesus says as he stands on the water in the midst of the storm. But he said to them, it is I. Ego me in the Greek. What we talked about last week, you know what he says? Literally, I am. I am. Do not be afraid. And how do they respond? Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Let me just connect a little bit with last week and this week. Last week, when Jesus said very clearly, before Abraham was, I am, those who rejected him were going to stone him, and he was hidden from them. Here we have the disciples who don't fully get it. They don't fully understand, but when he says, I am, They welcome him into into their boat. Hey, if you don't get anything more this morning, then get this. Whatever storm you're in, whatever it is you're hungering for, invite the I am into your boat. Receive the I am God because his supply is great. And he is the one who can meet your deepest needs. That's just amazing stuff. Now, meanwhile, back on the eastern shore, they figure out, hey, He's not here, so they take boat, they run, whatever. They find him in Capernaum, and they go, how'd you get here? How long you been here? And here's what Jesus does, point number two. Jesus teaches them 
that they should be seeking eternal food to satisfy their spiritual hunger. They should be seeking eternal food to satisfy their spiritual hunger. Or they should be working for spiritual food and seeking eternal satisfaction. They want what will satisfy them physically. And he's saying, look, you ought to be looking for what will satisfy you spiritually. And here's how he says it in John 6, 26. Notice what he says. 6, 26. It's the first of his amen, amen, or truly, truly, or most assuredly statements. When he says this, it's really true, and you're supposed to sit up and take notice. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, the healings, the feeding, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Wow. They were not looking for him because of the signs and what they signified. See, they should have saw those those signs, those healings. They should have saw that feeding and said, who is this guy who, who's with his hands can multiply bread? Who are you? Instead, they're saying, where are you so I can get my next what? My next meal. They were looking for him because not because their hearts were full of truth, but because their stomachs were full of bread. They wanted physical bread and the temporary satisfaction of feeling. You ever, you know, when you feel, you know, it just feels good. You just, oh man, it just feels good. It's nap time. It feels good. Jesus, keep me feeling good. I'll follow you anywhere as long as you help me feel good. Right? That's what they were saying. But the crowd doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. They don't understand what he's offering. They hear him say that they should work for food that endures. And they think he's telling them they need to do something to earn it. Look at what it says. He says in verse 27, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him... God has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Now, you got to understand what they said. They've been working hard. You know, they traveled all this way and they traveled all this way back. And they said, now we're hungry again. Feed us. And Jesus says, do the do not labor for that which is not lasting labor for that which is eternal. And they said, "Okay, just tell us what God requires. Tell us what we got to do. We'll do it so that God can come through. Now, what's that mean for you and I? Here's basically what they're saying. Tell me the magic words. Tell me what the secret handshake is. Tell me how many times I need to pray, how many times I have to go to church. Tell me what are the religious hoops that I need to jump through. Do I need to read the Torah in 90 days? What do I need to do? Just tell me what I need to do. And I'll do it as long as you come through and meet my physical, temporary needs. See, they were willing to work real hard to please God in order to get what they wanted from Him. More physical bread to meet their temporary hunger. But they were missing out on getting Him the very thing they really needed and would really satisfy them. See, man-made religion is always about what we need to do to earn God's favor. And true religion is about what God has already done and how he offers himself, not just the benefits, not just the miracles, but offers himself to meet what we really hunger for. So look at what Jesus says to him, verse 29. Jesus answered them, you want to know what God requires? You want to know the work that God requires here is the work of god that you believe in him who he has sent now folks that's the gospel people come to us how can i earn god's favor how can i get god to bless me how can i measure up how can i see see god work miracles in our life and here's what we say to him it's nothing you do just believe on the one who's done it for you believe on the one Who's done it for you? You see, he's saying, believe in me. 
See, they hadn't grasped how sinful they really were yet. They didn't understand that they were so sinful, there wasn't anything they could do to please God. And they didn't grasp how great God is. That God is so great, I could never work my way up to Him. I could never satisfy Him with anything I do. They didn't get how bad they were and how great God was. He's trying to show them that what they think they are hungry for is not going to satisfy them because it's physical, it's temporal, and in the end, they will still die hungry and not be filled. So here it is. They were trying to use Jesus to satisfy their physical hunger in at least three ways. First of all, political power, verse 15. Political power. They wanted to make him king. Jesus will follow you as long as you get the Democrats out of power. Jesus will follow you as long as you get rid of those crazy Republicans. Jesus will follow you as long as you make America great again. Do you get it? Get rid of Rome, bring in, put us in charge. Personal performance. Tell me what to do, Jesus, and I'll follow you. Personal performance. Jesus, just just tell me what to do, and I'll follow you. And then thirdly, physical pleasure. Physical pleasure. Do not underestimate the pleasure of having a full stomach. You know why we need to stop and think, don't understand that? Because we have full stomachs all the time. But they lived like the majority of the world lived. They lived with a gnawing hunger, physical hunger, day in, day out. And for many of these individuals, this was the best meal of their entire life. And it felt good. And they said, you know what, Jesus, we'll, we'll follow you as long as you keep giving me that personal sense of feeling filled and full and just all is right in the world. You see, these people were hungry, but they were hungry for the wrong thing. They were looking for temporary satisfaction, earthly security, and religious rituals to bring satisfaction to their lives. And Jesus is trying to say, look, you've got the wrong kind of hunger, and you're looking for the wrong kind of food. I'm not a presidential candidate. I'm not a political patriot. I am the divine I am God. And you need to look for what is eternal, and what will meet your deepest needs. So let me ask you a very personal question. This is for us. Why are you following Jesus this morning? Why are you here? Why do you name the name of Jesus? Why are you following him this morning? Is it just to satisfy a temporal pleasure, get through a crisis, make life a little better, ease your guilt? Or are you really looking for a deeper satisfaction in a deeper spiritual hunger? Do you really hunger for the great I am God? Or are you looking for a temporary fix that will get you by instead of an eternal feast that Jesus offers in himself? So the first step, is you got to decide this. What are you really hungry for? Is it physical or is it spiritual? But once you settle the question of what you're hungry for, okay, Chris, I get it. I want what's eternal. I want, I want Him. Look at step number two. Let God show you the right source to satisfy your spiritual hunger. If you really want your spiritual hunger satisfied, then you've got to go to the right source. The hungry crowd asked Jesus what work he wanted them to do, and he tells them real simply, you don't do anything, just believe on me. So, do you think the crowd said, oh, I get it, I'm going to start believing. Do you think they did that? No, they did exactly what Israel did in the wilderness when Moses, through Moses, God fed them manna. What did they do? Sandra and I were talking about this morning. What did they do, Sandra? They grumbled, they murmured, and they said, hey, we're not going along with that program. Now, notice what happens. Just like the children of Israel in the wilderness, they asked for another sign. Look at verses 30 through 31. 30 through 31. Then they said to him, 
like he didn't, like they did not even hear him because they didn't. Then they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Now, these are people who have followed him and seen him heal people. They traveled halfway around this lake and they got fed by five crackers and two sardines. Leah, can you imagine this? Now, what are you going to do? Man, they are just like us, right? Because stop and think about this. You and almost everybody in this room, if not every one of us, say, we know Jesus died for my sins. He rose from the dead, and he has given me eternal life. And you know how we often behave? So what have you done for me lately? Do this, or I won't follow you. Make my kid come home, or I won't follow you. Get me this job, or I'm going to be disappointed. Give me another sign. When he's already died for our sins, rose from the dead, and we're making demands, hey, we are no different. Right? We, I'm saying we, are we any different? We are no different. Listen, what the hungry crowd got right about the source of satisfaction. It says, look at what they said. What work do you perform? Verse 31. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They knew their Bible. And they said, look, if you are telling us to believe in you, then you've got a little more miracle working to do. Because you haven't even come close to Moses and you're telling us you're the one greater than Moses? Moses fed them for 40 years. We've had one meal from you. Step up or shut up. That's what they're saying to him. That's what they're saying to him. Now, let's get this right. First of all, Moses fed nobody in the wilderness. God did. That's number one. And number two, he certainly didn't do it the way Jesus did. So there's more than enough cause to stop right here and say, okay, we believe you are the source of our satisfaction. You are the I am God. But they're not, they're, they're not waiting for that. Here's what they understood. They knew they needed a greater prophet than Moses. They knew that, but they already said, he is the greater prophet. They knew they needed better manna than what they claimed Moses had provided. They needed bread that would last. Do you realize manna, if you didn't collect it, Soon enough, what happened to it? It rotted and went bad. Not only that, it only lasted for 40 years, and it was done. They needed something more than that. They needed more manna than what was given for 40 years. They needed a bread that would last, last a lifetime, and that's what they were demanding. Lord, don't do it once. Do it for us every day. They wanted bread on demand. They wanted to keep eating their fill as long as they wanted. And now here's what's interesting. They thought they were asking for a lot. They thought they were setting the bar high. And you know what the sad thing is? They weren't asking for enough. <laughs> they weren't asking for enough. Do you get that? See, what Jesus was offering them was far more than a lifetime of bread supply. You know, I get these coupons, these deals, you know, gas for life. Uh, I was seeing there were Disney vacations for 50 years. I'm like, I'm not going to live 50 years to enjoy that. But you know what? Winning, getting all those things, that's nothing compared to having Jesus. That's nothing compared to Him. Here's what they were saying. Look, we know, or so we think, you're claiming to be someone greater than Moses. So if you are, we want you to be our delivery boy and feed us until our bellies are full whenever we want, as much as we want, every day for the rest of our lives. Then we might believe you're greater than Moses. How does Jesus respond? Look at verses 32 through 33. Jesus then said to them, and here's the second, Amen, amen, truly, truly. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to Him, Now we got you. Now you're, now you're thinking, Sir, give us this bread always. 
which is exactly what in chapter 4 the woman at the well said when Jesus says, I'll give you living water. And she says, great, I don't want to come to this well again. See, they got the idea of ongoing, but they're thinking so physically, so this life, that they're missing what he's really saying. They're missing what they're really saying. They're basically saying to him, look, you're talking our language now. Now you're scratching where we itch. Now you're going to satisfy our hunger. Now we're now you're getting with our program. Give us this bread every day in every way until the day we die. The kingdom has come. Free bread for everyone. And then Jesus lets the other shoe drop. Look at verses 35 through 40. Jesus said to them, You want bread always? You want to be satisfied? I am. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. And yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me. If you want to know why I'm here and what I'm offering, it's that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And I'll just jump in. Look, verse 41. And so the Jews, what? Grumbled, murmured, and complained about him. Now, isn't that unbelievable? Wow. Now, what's going on? They knew that they needed something greater than Moses. But it's the I am God. They were right that they needed a source of better bread, but they didn't realize the bread was Jesus. They were right they needed a source of more bread, but they didn't realize the bread that he would give them was the bread that would give them eternal life. You see, satisfaction is not just for this life. It's for the one to come. Jesus clearly reveals the right source of spiritual satisfaction. I just read you verses 37 through 40. Now hang with me here. Let's look at three Three aspects of the right source. You ask yourself, is this the source of my satisfaction? Number one, is your source of satisfaction sovereign? Is it sovereign? Here's two statements that I read in this passage. All that the Father gives me will come to me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Now, Besides making it very clear that God is sovereign in our salvation, Jesus is trying to make some practical points, and here's what he's trying to drive home. Satisfaction in life is not dependent on us or anything we can do. It's dependent on God and His sovereign grace in the person of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're going to get satisfied, then you've got to understand the source of satisfaction is sovereign, and we come to Him because he draws us, not because we suddenly think, you know what, you got a pretty good deal going there, God. I'm going to get in on the action. He's got to come. We come on his terms, not ours. We come by his grace, not our works. We come to receive life, not demand that our needs get met. We come because he's drawn us, not because we've come up with another great idea to how to fix our lives. We come because God has chosen to give us to his son. See, we always focus on God giving Jesus to us. God here is that Jesus is here focusing on you have been given to me. You're mine. I'm your Lord. Wow. Kind of turns our, our life around a little bit. The source in life. The source of our satisfaction, because it's sovereign, we can't control it or manipulate it. Listen, God is not the genie in the bottle that we rub whenever we're in trouble. God is not the divine 
ATM machine that we punch buttons and we get what we're looking for. God is not the divine vending machine that whenever we're hungry, we just kind of throw up a prayer and He comes through in the way that we expect. And if He doesn't, what do you do in a vending machine when you order something and it doesn't come out the way you want? You kick it. You rail against it. You shake it. You threaten it. You say things to it. And if we got real honest this morning, we do the same thing to God. Oh, we know better than say it in the new life class. We know better than to say it to our pastors or to say it to certain people that are fervent about following Jesus. But we say it and we murmur and we grumble against God because the ATM has run out of money. Because the vending machine is not responding to our kicks. That's exactly what God is trying to tell him here. Look, if you're going to come and find satisfaction in me, it's going to be because I call you. It's going to be because I draw you. The source of satisfaction in life is the I am God who will be what he will be when we need it, not when we demand it. He's the sovereign source. Come on his terms. Come on his terms. But if you come, you will be secure. And that's the second thing I want you to see. Is your source of satisfaction secure? What is it that you're trying to satisfy yourself with? How secure is it? How secure is money these days? How secure is the job? How secure are relationships? How secure is family? How secure is a church? What is it that you're seeking to be satisfied by? The source of your satisfaction, is it secure? Let me just read you a couple verses. They're really verses 38. Uh, 37, 38, and 39. Is your source of satisfaction this secure? And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Verse 39. All that God has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Did you catch that? Only a sovereign source can be a secure source. Then look at verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up. And they grumbled and they complained. Verse 41 and 42. So Jesus, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. Do not murmur. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, third thing about source of satisfaction, it's spiritual. It's spiritual. In verses 41 through 46, he goes on, he says, Look at verse 45. It is written in the prophets that they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. If God's taught you, you're going to come to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. And here's the third amen statement. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Now, a couple things about spiritual satisfaction, spiritual source. There's just so much here. The Father must draw you, verse 44. The Son must raise you up, verse 44. God Himself must teach you to come to Jesus, verse 45. Only the Son has seen the Father. Therefore, only the Son can reveal to you the true source of satisfaction. Now, what's the point of this? Simply this, that if God, If God does not reveal himself to you, you will not come to God. If God does not teach you to find your source of satisfaction in Jesus, you will not find your source of satisfaction in Jesus. It's a God thing. And God must do it, which means I am at his mercy and I have to come to him like the the, the Pharisee, the publican who said, God have mercy on me. I can't feed myself. You've got to feed me. You've got to show me the source. Now, once God's led you to the bread of life, what should we do? Here's step three. 
We got to keep eating the bread. We got to keep eating the bread that the I am God puts on our plate. Now, Kirk has already made clear, you're not getting any more polo bread. Okay, this was it. This was a one-time shot. It's kind of like Jesus feeding the 5,000. You got your chance, eat your fill. Okay, but here's the reality. When Jesus presents himself and puts himself on your plate, keep on eating. Keep on feeding. And how do we do this? Well, Jesus presents the conditions. They're found there in verse, look at verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever what? Believes in me has eternal life. Look at verse 60, uh, 53. Look at John 6, 53. So Jesus said to them, now here comes a fourth amen, amen statement. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, people are freaked out about this. They were then and they still are now. What is he talking about? Car, you know, cannibalism? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Well, Jesus has already told them what he means by that. Eating and drinking means believing. It's, it's a figure of speech. Hey, if Jesus said, I am the bread, if he was talking literally, what would he have been? A big, a big loaf of bread. I am bread. No, he's speaking spiritually. And he says, look, I am bread. So feed on me. And then we know he's speaking by a, a metaphor or a figure of speech because he says, drink my blood. Well, you don't drink bread. What's he talking about? He's saying, look, I'm going to go to the cross and die. My flesh, my body's going to be broken, just like bread's broken. And my blood's going to be spilled out, just like wine's spilled out. And just like you ingest bread and wine in joy to feed and satisfy your physical under, you're going to have to have me and you and you and me. You're going to have to believe in me. You're going to have to feed on me. We, we do this kind of work all, we, we use these kind of figures of speech all the time. Oh, I just, I'm going to eat you up. You're so cute. And what do you mean? You're just going to love, you're just going to, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm just going to be there for you. We need to feed on him. We need to feed on him. Now, Jesus promises those who abide in his conditions. Here's his promises. They were perplexed. And here's the reason they were perplexed. Because they kept thinking physically and he kept talking spiritually. And there's that disconnect. But here's what he promises. You will have eternal life. You will have resurrection hope. You will have lasting satisfaction. You will enjoy a permanent life-giving relationship. You will have the very life of God in you to sustain you, not just now in your crisis, but also in the greater thing, eternal life after you die, when you face God, I will sustain you throughout all eternity. You know what? You know what's interesting about verses 53 through 59? And I went and I looked it all up in the Greek, made sure I was right on what I'm saying. You know what's interesting about 53 through 59? Is that in the original language there, he starts talking in the continual present tense. And so everything you see in those in the latter parts of John 6, everything you're seeing there, nearly every verb you see is about continuing to believe, continuing to eat, continuing to drink. And what he's trying to say is, look, this isn't just a prayer you pray. This isn't just something you do to get baptized once. This is how you live your life. Keep eating what I have provided, and that is keep believing on me, even when life's tough, even when your needs aren't getting met. And that brings us to step number four. Never stop eating when the bread of life is hard to swallow. Never stop eating when the bread of life is hard to swallow. Listen, if you're here this morning, you go, you know, I'm going through tough times. And if, if Jesus doesn't get me out of this, I'm not going to follow him. Here's my advice to you from this passage. You keep eating when he's hard to swallow. No matter how hard it gets. You keep believing him because you know what? He's not going to meet your every physical need in this life. You're, everybody that wants a boyfriend is not going to get a boyfriend. Everybody that wants a faithful spouse isn't going to get a faithful spouse just because you're following Jesus. Everybody that wants 
a cushy retirement and a safe and secure job is not going to get that following Jesus. What do you do when it's hard to swallow? You keep eating. You keep believing. You keep coming to Him. Amen? Because that's the test of why you're really following Him. Because see, what happens in this story is many, many, over 20,000 were there. Most of that 20,000, they turned and they left because it was too hard to swallow. It was too hard to swallow. So here's what Jesus does. He freaks out and says, Okay, I'll give you bread. I'll give you bread. If you just come back because I need the crowd. No, he turns to the 12. And he says to them in a very emotional, high-powered way, he says, you're not going to leave me too, are you? And he says it in a way that says, I know you're not, but i got to ask you. You're not going to leave me too, are you? And here's what Paul, uh, what uh, the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle, the disciple Peter says. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, he understood this isn't about bread. This is about eternal life. This is about spiritual food. You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is one of the most radical, divine, spiritual statements in Scripture. The Holy, in other words, you're as high as, as it can get. We have believed and we have come to know. Now, this guy's speaking way beyond, way beyond his spiritual capacity. But how does he know? God has drawn him. Jesus has taught him. He is, his source is spiritual. It's not fleshly. But notice what Jesus says. Oh, thank God I thought you guys were going to leave me. You know, man, you know, if 20,000 leave, as long as I got you 12 guys, I am safe and secure. No, 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 no. Look at what he says. Jesus answered them. Did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon. What, 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 what's, what's going on here? There's two reactions to the bread of life. Number one, unbelief that keeps on rejecting, that keeps on rejecting, and, that's in, in, and they left him. The second response is belief that keeps on receiving what the I am God has provided. Now, I looked at these six things. I knew I wouldn't have time for them. But I looked at them, and there they are. Man, I'm telling you what. You need to look at those things. Because here's the deal. Why do people find Jesus hard to swallow? There's six reasons why the bread of life is hard to swallow for so many people. And some of those reasons are the reasons why Jesus said to Peter what he said. Because, see, Peter said, look, I know about unbelief. Look at all those unbelievers. But we're here. <laughs> we're here. We figured it out. And he said, Peter, that's spiritual pride. You're, you're, you're on the verge of spiritual pride. And you're thinking that you've arrived. And that might be the most dangerous place to be of all. Because even of you 12, one of you is of the devil. This isn't about what you believe. It's about me drawing you to myself. It's about me choosing you more than you choosing me. We're tempted to think in only physical terms rather than spiritual terms. That's why we sometimes find following Jesus hard to swallow. We want a Christless and crossless religious experience. That's why we find Jesus hard to swallow. We want to satisfy our hunger in the power of the flesh. And Jesus says that just doesn't work. And sometimes, even though we've prayed a prayer and we've been baptized and we're coming to a Bible-believing church, sometimes God still hasn't changed our heart and we haven't truly been born again. And sometimes we choose to believe until things get hard to swallow and then we turn back and 
sometimes we just take pride in ourselves. And I'm telling you, there is so much in these passages, in this one chapter. You see, unbelief complains about what's on the menu. What do you think when your kids do that? Unbelief complains about how the food is prepared. You mean I got a sacrifice to follow you? Unbelief complains how the food is to be eaten. You mean I got to die to self and believe in you? And pride complains about who gets the credit for the great meal. And let me end with this statement and let you go. Listen, God predestined the meal, He prepares the meal, He provides the meal, He presents the meal. And let's get it in our heads. He paid for the meal with his own blood and his own body. And you know what we get the pleasure of? We get the pleasure of eating by faith. Isn't that good? Let's pray. Father, uh, I have to say I'm a little like Peter. I believe this. I can teach it. But I've probably said more than what I really understand. And we need you to explain to us how to get our deepest hungers met. But I pray that we will leave today thinking deeply about where's my source and what am I really hungry for? And is that source so spiritual that I can't accomplish it apart from trusting you and continuing to trust you even when it gets hard to follow you? I pray that Everyone here has been led, drawn, taught, and chosen by you. And that we would respond by believing in you and trusting in you and feeding on you for our deepest needs and greatest desires. I pray this in the name of the I Am God, Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Amen. Amen. Feed on this passage this week. You'll be glad you did.